The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. Our passage this morning comes from Numbers, from Numbers, the 13th chapter. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me. Numbers, the 13th chapter. We're going to begin our study with the 25th verse and study through the 33rd verse. Please open your Bibles and find your place and keep your Bibles open in your lap as we move through the passage together, that God might use it, the written word, as he does the spoken word, to touch our hearts. Numbers, the 13th chapter, verses 25 through 33. When you found your place, please look up. Let's ask for special help. Father, help us to come empty-handed to you, asking for the moving of your Holy Spirit that we might be able to read and hear and that our hearts might be massaged and our minds renewed. It's a special opportunity, Lord, to hear directly from you. So speak to us and help us to hear and help us to retain and help us to put into play in our own lives the things that you give to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was working on this passage, I noticed in the last verse, the 33rd verse, that last phrase, it says, And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Grasshoppers? I sat and thought about that a little bit. Why grasshoppers? I could have thought of a lot of other things. But like I always do, it caused me to flip back to my childhood. And I heard someone in my family mention one time that they were having a reception for their customers, which they did periodically. And I'd never been to one of those receptions. And I listened and I heard about this wonderful buffet they were going to have. That always gets my attention. When I was a little boy, it got my attention. I'm apt to get my attention focused on that these days. And I don't think I pled to go to that reception, but I let it be known that I would like to attend, and I got invited. And I remember getting out of school that afternoon. I was in elementary school and going home as quick as I could get home, which was about a block and a half away, and I put on my Sunday clothes. I put on my suit, and I put on a tie, And I got on a bus and went downtown Miami. Went to the Everglades Hotel. I'd never been in that hotel before, but I knew where it was. And I got on an elevator and went upstairs to their ballroom. And I stepped in the room, and it was filled with people. And I looked around, and there were no other children in the room. But then I had a coat and tie on, so I was okay. And and I looked around, and I saw a few people I knew, but not very many, All the ladies were dressed very nicely with heels. The fellows all had coats and ties on. And then I spied the buffet. 
And that's what I'd come for. Uh, nobody was going to talk to me, and I probably wasn't going to talk to anybody. So I made my way across with great confidence to that buffet. And you know, they have those silly little plates, which just challenge you to see how much food you can get on them. And so I started at one end, and I wasn't paying much attention, and there were big people all around me, and I'm, I'm starting to just engineering. I'm putting food on that little plate. And then I saw a plate sitting off to the side, and I looked at it, and it was pieces of chocolate. I'm married to a chocoholic. I like chocolate. I reached out to take one, and there were these little bumps on top. And I looked at the little bumps. I'd never seen little bumps on top of chocolate. So I picked one up, and I started to put it on my plate, and I realized what the bump was. It was the chocolate-covered ant. I didn't know they put ants in chocolate. That was one of those learning experiences. And I looked at it, and I knew I couldn't put it back on the plate, so I put it on my plate. And then I went happily on down the line, and suddenly I saw another one of those plates I'd never seen before. You know what it was? It's a platter about that big with fried grasshoppers. And every grasshopper was sitting back on his haunches like he was going to jump off that plate at me. And I thought, surely people don't eat grasshoppers. I took one of the grasshoppers. Aren't you dying to know if I eat those things? And I put it on my plate. And I got some more food, and I got to the end, and I stopped. And you know what I did? I didn't eat anything. I stood and watched other people. I wanted to see somebody eat that chocolate-covered ant and that grasshopper. And I saw people delicately eating those grasshoppers. Now, people today would really probably encourage us high-protein, low in fat. I mean, all the things that are desirable today. Well, when I was working on this passage, I thought, to be called a grasshopper? What a terrible, terrible thing for somebody to say about you. And to think of yourself as a grasshopper? That's what the passage says. I want to show you why the people of Israel thought other people thought of them as grasshoppers and why they saw themselves that way. Look with me, if you would, at the 13th chapter of Numbers. And let's begin with the 25th verse. And folks, listen. This is what we came for. God's about to speak to us. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who lived in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Najib, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea, and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for it will surely, we shall surely overcome it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim's. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. A little recap in the verses that go before this. The people of Israel have experienced the separating of the sea. Now, you would think that one act would change them forever, and they would trust in God, but that's not what happened. They got under the wilderness, and the sea closed in behind them on top of the Egyptian pharaoh and army, and they started making their way to the south, as we understand it, and then turned and started back toward the Mediterranean and a little bit to the east, and they ended up at an oasis, an oasis that's on the border with the land of Canaan. And at that oasis, they made camp. And before they had made camp, they started having some rebellion in the camp. And the people called out to Moses and his brother Aaron and said, We don't have anything to eat. We're going to starve to death out here. We'd rather go back on the other side of the river and be the captives of the Egyptians. Well, as you know, God provided food for them. And still they grumbled. And God said, well, here's what we're going to do. And he said to Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to pick from each one of the 12 tribes. I want you to pick one of the leaders of those tribes. And I want you to send them into the land of Canaan. And I want them to go into the hill country and into the wilderness. And I want them to go to the Jordan River and to the Mediterranean. And I want them to look throughout that entire country, which I have promised to you. And I want you to scout it out, come back and tell us what kind of food sources are there for us as a nation. Are there a lot of people there? Are they in fortified cities or living in tent cities? Come back and tell us. Now, folks, God wasn't saying to Moses, send spies out and determine if we should go into that land. God said, I'm going to give that land to you. So what I want you to do is I want you to send these spies out so you'll know how to prepare to take the land. If ever there's been a good balance, and I'm not going to preach on it today, between predestination and the free will of man, this is one of those examples. God said, it's predetermined. I'm going to give you Israel, this whole land of Canaan. But I want you to go take a look at it. And I want you to use the abilities you have so you can do the very thing I have already ordained to have happen. Isn't that a good example of those two teachings and doctrines? Well, they get to Kadesh Barnea, to this oasis, and the people are grumbling and not happy and A lot of them would really like to go back across that river. Moses 
selects through each of the tribes a tribal leader to go cross the boundary into the land of Canaan. How do you get to be a leader in a tribe? How do you get to be a leader in our country? How do you get to be a leader in our church? It's because other people notice you? Because you have abilities? Because you have some of those natural leadership qualities? You and I are about to go through a process of electing elders and deacons. If somebody's just real capable or has made a lot of money or just knows all the answers to everything, that doesn't disqualify them. But folks, that doesn't qualify them either to be an officer of the church. You know what qualifies a person to be a spiritual leader? It starts right there. Humbled before God. It starts with us knowing we don't have the answers. We're going to seek them from him and follow him. Those are the kind of folks you elect to office in our church. Want our church to be a strong church? You need spiritual leaders, not just leaders. We can look around in our day and see what just leaders do and what mistakes they make. We need people who know the Lord and who have an ear and will listen as he speaks. You know, he's not asking us to take the country. He's not asking us to do anything other than participate as his will is worked out. Do you understand? Pray about who you'll vote for. And vote for men who have a heart for the Lord and who will follow him. And when that happens, you and I can get on board and go with them because we've got the right leaders. If you look on down at verses 28 and 29, I beg your pardon, at 25 through 27, you'll see the situation as it starts to work out. After 40 days of being in the land of Canaan, these 12 spies who've been sent out return. And when they come back, they immediately start to talk about what they've seen. They talk about how there's milk and honey in the land, meaning there's food aplenty. They talk about the attributes of that land and how it's all the things that they've heard that it would be. And then suddenly, when you get down to the 28th and 29th verses, you see a division that takes place among the 12. There's a majority report with 10 of the spies reporting And those ten spies start talking about the people who are there. And they make the generalization and say, you know, everybody who's in that country is a really big person. Well, that's a generalization. That's not how people are born. There are some big folks, and in this case, there were some real big folks. But there are also some little folks. But that's not how they describe it. They're starting to build their case. And they say, everybody in that country is big. Bigger than us is what they're implying. And then they say they don't live in tent cities. They live in fortified cities with thick walls. And we are not going to be able to overcome them. And what they're saying is, forget about what God said, that he's going to give this land to us. Look at it with your eyes and you can see we can't overcome. We saw it and we know we can't overcome. 
Five tribes of people are in that country. Three of them were in the hill country. One of them was in the desert or arid area. And another one was down at the Jordan and over at the Mediterranean. What they were saying is just do a military evaluation and you'll know we can't do this thing. We can't take this place. So very often, I and you look at a situation in life and we let our eyes dictate what we think. And we walk by sight, not by faith. And one of the wonderful corners, and please go with me on this, one of the wonderful corners that we can spiritually turn in our lifetime is when we say, I'm not going to live just by sight. I'm not going to live merely by what other people tell me. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to believe in a God who's an awesome God. And I'm going to follow him. And if he wants me to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go where he wants me to go. And I'm going to live the life he wants me to live. And folks, in this secular society that we live in, that is so caught up in power and money and prestige and all those other things, they absolutely will not serve us well. And they will lead to the destruction of the quality of our life. So what God's doing is he's saying to us, I want you to walk by faith. I don't want you just to walk by sight. That doesn't mean you walk through life not being aware of what's going on, but it means you walk through life by faith going where God wants you to go and you deal with the things you need to deal with. And you can do that under the power of the Holy Spirit. These ten men gave a really bad report. And they're using their influence to influence a whole nation of people to get them to do something other than what God wants them to do. Two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, came in with a minority report. And if you look at the 30th verse, you'll see that minority report. The first thing they had to do is they had to quieten everybody. Can you imagine a whole nation of people at an oasis surrounded by nothing but endless sand? And they're very unhappy. They're letting Moses know it. They're letting Aaron know it. they got these ten spies that are encouraging them to be upset and unhappy. And here come these two other men. And they say, shh, settle down. Be quiet. You know, it's an interesting thing. If you watch debates, political debates, any other kind of debates today, if you watch some of the programs on TV where they have panels of people, there are a lot of people talking, not many people listening. That's not a debate. The whole purpose of a debate is to refine our thinking so we come to some kind of reasonable conclusion. But if everybody's talking and if we're trying to out-talk each other and if we're getting louder and louder, we're not listening to anybody. If when you get home and you realize, not today, but just in life, 
that you've talked too much? Ever had that happen? Preachers never have that happen. When you get home and you say, you know, I don't remember what anybody else said. I was so busy thinking about what I was going to say next that I couldn't hear. Well, you haven't gained anything, and you may have influenced other people in a way that God didn't want you to influence them. It's not about you. It's not about me. Who's it about? It's about him. And if we don't listen and perfect our thinking together and allow the Holy Spirit to work with us, we're going to take a turn, and it could be very hurtful to us and to other people. So Caleb and Joshua say, shh, y'all be quiet now. Settle down. And let's reason together. And what they say is so very simple. They said, let's go take the land. Forget what these ten guys have said. And what they're saying is God's already promised to give it to us. Trust God. Walk by faith. Go do it. It's interesting to me how short the rebuttal is. They just simply told the truth. And they tried to have people listen as they told the truth. You know something that's missing today, in my opinion, in our country and in so many of our churches? We need people of character. Instead, we got a lot of characters. Some of us, maybe. It doesn't serve anyone well. A person of character is a person who has principles that they live by. The person who can turn to the scriptures and say, well, here's something that tells me how to live my life. Here's something that explains to me what I might never figure out on my own. This is what God wants me to do. Well, for this to impact us, something has to happen before that. By the grace of God, his Holy Spirit comes on those that he's calling at that moment And he calls us into a relationship with him so he can take care of us. And the first step is to help us realize we're really messed up. We don't have it right. And folks, if you're sitting there saying, well, I got most of it worked out, you need to talk to me after church. We don't have most of it worked out. We may have all kind of knowledge, but when you get it worked out, It grows out of a personal relationship with the Son of God and out of allowing the Holy Spirit that dwells in those of us who come to faith to take charge of our life. And when we do that, we're standing in a position where this word will impact us. And as it impacts us, we'll be people who have principle to live by. And then as we yield to the Spirit, we can influence other people in the right way. Did you get all that? It's a simple process. It starts with Him. And it's all about Him. And we're the benefactor. By grace, we have been saved through faith. And that not of our own doing. So don't boast about it. He did it. He loved us. He saved us. And he cares very much about how we live this life. 
if we can see in our country and in our church and in other churches people humbled before the Lord and experiencing his love and personalizing that through knowing Jesus Christ and giving freedom to the Spirit, our churches and our country, our families will be blessed. It's a simple prescription. And it starts with us surrendering to him. That's really what Caleb and Joshua are trying to communicate. God told us to go take the land. Let's go take it. You see obstacles? Deal with the obstacles. Let's go take the land. Get single-minded. And know who God is. And do it his way. Works every time. Well, those ten other spies are listening to this rebuttal... And suddenly they start blurting out what they think. They're not going to yield. They're not going to give up. They're going to use their influence to try to sway Moses and Aaron and a whole nation of people. And what they do is they say, you know, the people in that land are really strong. Now they're going to start to embellish. I've never done that, and I know you don't when you try to win an argument. But they're going to embellish now. And they say, you know, they're really strong. They are huge. And you cannot overcome them. The implications are very clear. And then they say, and that land will devour you because it devours its own people. Interesting little theological play on words. What's it mean to devour? To eat up? To take away the heart of? To make the mind captive? There are lots of ways to devour a person. If you live in a pagan society, in a godless society, there's a demand that is made that you be godless. And it comes from every quarter because that's the world that you are then living in. And what they're saying is, if you go into that land, you will become like them. In my lifetime, which is short compared to, I know, doesn't seem short, but it's short compared to the human experience. What a change I've seen, haven't you? We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have the promise of eternal life, we've been adopted into the family, and what this country of ours and this world of ours is saying to us is, get rid of all that, you don't need God. It's trying to devour us. And you and I, by the grace of God, need to live in this world, but not be of this world. And what these men are saying is true. That country would devour them, particularly if they're not looking to God for leadership. And that should be enough to scare them. Then they go on and give a bad report. I bet you they talked for a very long time trying to convince everyone. We have just an encapsulated glimpse of what they said, but you know they said more than this. And they're trying to convince them that they need to change. Do we listen to those that would devour us? All of the news broadcasts concern me. 
even the ones that agree with me politically. So many of the talk show hosts offend God, even the conservatives. It's one thing to agree with a person. It's something else for them to deliver that message in a totally inappropriate way, encouraging us to act like we should not act. And you and I need to be discerning. We need to listen. We need to know when someone is telling us the truth as we understand it and delivering it in a reasonable manner. I don't know what political party you're in. I don't care. I don't care who the president is or what party he's in. God has allowed the president of the United States of America to serve at his pleasure. And Romans tells us if God doesn't want that person in office, it doesn't make any difference what happens, they're not going to get elected. It won't happen. You and I are to pray for and to respect the office. You can disagree, but do it respectfully. That's not what these ten guys were all about. They were trying to incite the people of God to do something they shouldn't have done. If you look down at the 33rd verse, you see how all this comes together. Just a reminder to you, if you look over into Deuteronomy 135, there's an interesting little insight. And you don't need to look it up, but let me just paraphrase it. What happens is God says, you know, you didn't go in and take the land when I told you to do it, so now I will not go with you. If you go in, now you will be defeated. Golly, if you apply that to our behavior and to our nation, that's scary. When God asks us to do something, he'd like us to get on board and do it. And there is a point at which he very well may say, okay, enough is enough. Now I don't want you to do that and I won't help you do it. That really ought to frighten us. We have an awesome God. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy. He is a God of wrath and a God of justice. And you and I can't put those together, but he does that quite nicely. So we need to know who the God is that we are being confronted by and influenced by. So there's this statement by God, that opportunity is over. And now because you have followed the advice of those ten spies... And you will not listen to Joshua and Caleb. I'm not going to let you go into the promised land ever. And you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And a whole generation of you who didn't walk by faith, but who walked by sight are going to die. And it will be your children who go into the promised land. You know how faithless those people became? Forty years, they did not circumcise any of their newborn boys. Forty years, spiritually and physically, they wandered, having lost their bearing completely. God wants us to walk by faith. And the result is, if we don't, we lose our own self-esteem. Our self-esteem is not built on our accomplishments. It's built on our relationship with God. 
you sever that, and suddenly our foundation for us individually starts to shake. And we feel like grasshoppers. And these people realized it, but didn't know what to do about it. You know what else happens? The very people who are trying to devour us, who are godless people, they look at us and say, you're not significant. You're like a grasshopper. And what they're saying is, I can have my way with you. And folks, that's not what God wants. What God wants is for you and I to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our being. And not be deceived by this world, but to fall in love with him. And as we fall deeper and deeper in love with him, we will have a greater sense of well-being. And God can work through us in ways he will not otherwise work. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that I wanted to preach a few sermons first one was, you and I need to do outreach and evangelism, not be bashful. We need to invite people to church. We need to invite people, and I invite you all, to Sunday school. We're blessed with very good Sunday school teachers. I encourage you to come and be a part and get your cup full. Once a week on Sunday morning at 1030, isn't going to do it. It's just not going to do it. As great as the preaching is, it's not going to happen. We all know that, don't we? So I encourage you, be active in your church. Allow God, not through business, but through the word and through prayer, to build us up. And then do outreach. As you do outreach, surrender yourself to him and be reconciled to each other. Do not withhold yourself from one another. And then, walk by faith not by sight. Be quiet and learn to listen and let God have his way with you. Folks, if you do that, I can go back to Columbia. God bless you. Let the Lord have his way with you. Let's pray together. Father, it's good to smile in church. It's good to laugh in church. It's okay at appropriate times to cry in church. And it's always okay to be open to the moving of your Holy Spirit as your word is expressed to us. What today out of our passage was there for me, Lord, and for each one of us? What is it that you had for us that you want us to take home. Please impress that on us and help us to be the people you want us to be and help us not to be grasshoppers in our own sight or in the sight of others. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.